0: Excuse me, sir. I hope you had a very pleasant shopping experience. Yeah. Good. Here's a form for our suggestion box. Now, if there's anything you want that we don't have, you just let us know. Arugula. I haven't had arugula in six weeks. What's that? It's a vegetable. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Hi, Bartek. How are you? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing much better than I was last episode. I'm in that period now of the lockdown in which I've accepted the fate. And I've really come to the period of the lockdown where I've accepted that my birthday will be in lockdown. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling pretty good. I've accepted my defeat in life. (laughs) And I watched a movie that was very upbeat this week for the pod, to say the least. So that also chippered my mood up. I've been in a real coincidentally engaging and watching things of a more upbeat and energetic nature. So I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. I'm not in the Tyrannosaur mood. (laughs) Yeah. So how about yourself? How have things been? Things have been good,
1: yeah. I mean... Honestly, the only thing that's really, truly been bothering me in the lockdown is that I have to do the podcast remotely.
0: It's not as much fun. I do, I do miss seeing your face and seeing you halfway through an episode stand up because you have a sore back. Mm. And it's it's the little things we cherish. But we are spin Polish, likingly because we're always spitting and we both happen to be of Polish background and lineage and all of that great stuff. I don't have any... Strong Polish news or facts? I don't really have any. Do you, anything happening Polish-wise? Um,
1: not recently, but a few weeks ago. I think it might have just been last week or two weeks ago. There was something about Poland is going to send us here in Australia, like, vaccines. Thanks, Poland. And I, yeah, I, I I didn't hear that news. But the way that it was kind of indicated to me was that in the group chat that I have with some friends... A lot of them just randomly started thanking me and not explaining why, so I got very confused for a while. (laughs) I guess I I just scream Polish to everyone. Yeah,
0: you—I mean, you can't. We have a podcast in which we do, where we literally do Polish. That's what we do every week. Um, so we are doing our show, Pictures Pow Wow, in which we talk about a movie that has come recommended. Bartik, who recommended the movie for this episode?
1: It was you.
0: It was me? Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. We nailed it. We got it. We got it down pat. I recommended this. I recommended the film from 1990 called... My blue heaven. So, people, this is a Steve Martin, Rick Moranis, Joan Cusack comedy film. If you have not seen the movie, we recommend that you do give it a watch. But to give it a little bit of a brief rundown to entice you, like I said, you should watch the movie for yourself before listening to this, because we're going to dive in. But the plot of it is basically, uh, it's good, like, well... When I say this, it's good, fellas. The pitch of it is a gangster has been put in witness protection program in a little rinky-dink, suburbany, nice place, and he has to come to terms with that. And he has his little FBI handler, and there's the district attorney in town who's getting fed up with him, with uh, the gangster performing crimes in her nice town. And hijinks ensue from there. This is basically... What happened after the ending of Goodfellas? But it's a comedy with Steve Martin, written by the wife of the guy who wrote the script to Goodfellas, Nora Ephron, who has done, a, who did a lot of iconic film and and just writing things in general. So, uh, Bartek, what is your history with My Blue Heaven?
1: So, my history with My Blue Heaven is that I have never seen it before, and I. Don't know if I've heard of it before.
0: You have heard of it, because I've mentioned it many times on the podcast over the years.
1: Okay, okay, so it's a matter of I didn't remember it.
0: You didn't remember it. Did you have any uh, expectations walking into this movie, and what was it like to actually watch it?
1: Um, I guess just from the title, seeing the word blue made me think, oh, maybe it'll we'll have something to do with police, and it kind of did. Um... So that was basically the extent of it, and I knew, of course, that it was a comedy that had Steve Martin in it. So I figured, you know, he'd have an entertaining character, something to do with the police, and it it, it fulfilled that expectation.
0: You did not remember my Goodfellas comment at the end of the last episode?
1: I completely forgot about
0: it. He forgets about every comment I make about movies that I recommend for the next one. He's like. What was that? You told me to watch it while doing a handstand? I completely forgot about that, Ryan. I watched it while I doing a cartwheeler. I pretend to forget wheel. about
1: something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, he pretends. So I know this movie. I've seen this movie many times. I It was a DVD that we had in our household. We're big Steve Martin fans, my family and I. Uh, big Rick Moranis fans. Big, big Joan Cusack fans as well. So this hits that sweet spot big fans of all of the actors and so obviously seeing a movie with all of them in it is a big appeal a big draw and this has always been a staple it's it's not necessarily uh the best work of everyone involved in my book but it's a very very close contender like this isn't Planes, Trains, and Automobiles level for Steve Martin, but I do enjoy this in his catalogue, and I wanted to really recommend it for this movie because I thought, this feels like a Bartek thing. I think Bartek will get a kick out of the comedy in this and the characters involved, and the general pitch of it is really fun, in which it's like the gangster in the small town having to try to be a normal guy, and then he finds out there are other gangsters that have yeah. been put in this town, and they're like, we could start a crime ring in this town, but then that kind of spirals into something nice. It's like, how about we be legitimate and be nice? And the blossoming relationship between uh, uh, Joan Cusack and uh, Rick Moranis I thought may tickle your, uh, your, your funny bones as well because I have often mentioned My Blue Heaven when we talk about School of Rock, Because I bring up, every time we talk about School of Rock, or have talked about School of Rock, that Joan Cusack plays pretty much the same type of character as she does in School of Rock, but in My Blue Heaven, in which she's the uptight, no-fun, stick-in-the-mud woman who wears the dowdy clothes, yet somehow has a romantic entanglement with the main character. And... I always bring it up when we've talked about School of Rock. Is this coming back to you by any chance?
1: Yeah, I I definitely remember you talking about her in School of Rock, just not the My Blue Heaven connection.
0: Yeah. Um so, what was it like watching this movie, man? Well, how did you how did you go with it?
1: It was a good time. I I didn't necessarily laugh too much. I, I, did, I can't say that I necessarily think this is a, you know, fantastic film, but I just had a decent time watching it
0: yeah who was uh your your standout who did you gravitate towards who brought you the joy
1: i I would have to give it to steve martin he was just playing such a you know big character um i'm not used to him not having white hair so that really (laughs) you know was a visual grab for me um yeah it was just a very fun performance
0: he is definitely at the center of this all. Oh, I love Steve Martin. I have seen him with color in his hair. I've watched Little Shop of Horrors. So that's, that's an example. Another Rick Moranis movie. And I... He is an interesting figure, Steve Martin, because he's, he's had stages and eras, clearly. Like, early stand-up Steve Martin is very surreal, very abstract, very silly. Uh, you know, he has this, he plays the banjo and has very silly jokes and very abstract jokes. And then you get, like, movie Steve Martin in his early career where he would do that type of thing in movies, like The Jerk, where he would be rude and crude and, like, silly and over the top and kind of all over the place. And then you get, like, sensible Steve Martin, which is, like, plane trains and automobiles, in which he's still doing some of that fun stuff, but he's, like, a real, uh... Stick in the mud, arrogant, angry kind of person, like the characters he plays. And he would Mm. kind of do that for a very long time. And then you get like mellowing out Steve Martin, in which he plays like a lot of people's, like he plays the father in a lot of things. Like in, in, um, what are those movies? Uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, Steve Martin. You get like Cheaper by the Dozen, Steve Martin, where he's older now. He's not as wild as he used to be. Now he's kind of, like, not saying getting lazy, but he's, his comedy is now kind of more throwing in quick little jabs rather than being, like, this wild and crazy guy that you see in this movie, for instance. And then mm-hmm. now we get old Steve Martin, in which old Steve Martin is just like, I, he's like, I know I'm a comedy legend. I know I'm a comedy legend. And I can be as rude, crude, and all that as I like. But also, if I want to play the banjo, I will. And so I find Steve Martin to be a very interesting presence in the world of comedy because he has had such a growth as a as a character himself, as an actor, performer. Some people may say he's declined, but it's just that thing, like a musician, certain eras are, uh, are more attractive to some people, but that doesn't dispel the body of work or the person themselves as an artist. And I think... Like, I actually really like old, current-day Steve Martin. Like, I love his work with Martin Short and him on press junkets and him in interview shows and him making guest appearances as himself or, like, doing voices and all of that. So I'm not opposed, but whenever I think of him in My Blue Heaven, it's very odd because this is, like, smack dab in the middle of, like, you know the 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 sensible steve martin this is like him throwing back to his snl appearances and throwing back to the man with two brains steve martin where he's very silly doing a funny voice doing these loud over the top gestures and uh i don't know why i think it's because the tone of the movie matches his character that he is not annoying to me what do you think about that cuz this could have been a re- this could be for some people or could have been a really annoying performance why wasn't it for you yeah
1: i can see what you're saying like if if everyone else in the film was like you know played straight or from the modern day and just acting like oh why are you being so weird guy then yeah that would have been uh, received very differently but this character even from within the world of this film is from sort of another world but it's a world that's inhabited by people what i mean is like you know he's from a crime family so he associates with people that associated with the crime family and he fits in there completely well um and and that's a world that other characters like the fbi and people that live in the regular community um would have to interact with in some fashion that yeah. uh, has a difference to them it, it's not just like what, what, what do you, what, what world are you from i i do not understand you at all it, it's comprehensive he's he's a criminal mm. um a wise guy and they they it's something that they understand or would respond to and it it feels natural
0: yeah and you you you're you're you're, you're uh, um honing in on the world within the movie and the characters that inhabit like yeah all of the criminal people we meet, like like his extended family and his mother, or at least the woman who's saying she's his mother. We don't even get confirmation if that's hundred percent true, <laughs> but you probably guess it is. And um, uh, other than the hitmen, the the hit, yeah, the hitman. Uh, you get like this sense that they're this over the top community of wacky characters. So Steve Martin matches that, but then you get like in the FBI, you get Rick Moranis. Although he's straight-laced, he has his silly things, like the silly touch of him standing up to the National Anthem in an office where nobody's there. Remember that scene where like, the TV's playing the National Anthem and he just sadly stands up to it just because he has to pay respect? Like, <laughs> yeah, that was something like that, wasn't it? That's a funny little detail. Or him and his pancakes. He has a method for everything, including pancakes. What do you mean? What does he do with his Pancakes. Well, I have a system in which the, the bottom pancake gets enough uh, the same amount of syrup as the top one does. Yeah,
1: there's logic to it, but it's also like, well, you're thinking really hard it's about v- this simple thing. It's
0: very silly, but like, what I think makes it work, Steve Martin performance, since we're talking about it, is the movie itself, the presentation itself is so built into his character the music the energy of the movie the color of the movie the 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 movement of the camera is very fluid um the title cards with his inner thoughts like it really the, the movie itself from the the editing directing visuals is reflective upon the high energy of Steve Martin's character so even though Rick moranis is playing this pretty straight in comparison to Steve Martin. It doesn't feel like Steve Martin is the odd man out doing a wacky comedy performance that's like he's just here to do the funny thing. The movie itself with the choices of song and the all of that feels so true to Vinny. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And that's why I love uh Steve Martin. Like he he he's he's at the top like this is him at the top of his game, and he's kind of going back into his old wheelhouse that we used to know him for. And he's very good here. Of course, massive, massive stars of this. Rick Moranis. What's your uh, relationship with uh, Rick Moranis? Have you seen him in in many things, have much of a, an attachment to him as a comedic figure? Because he, along with Steve Martin and Bill Murray and, and, and Dan Aykroyd, was a comedic titan of the time.
1: Um, I looked up his filmography, and I'm not sure if I have actually seen him in anything else.
0: You haven't seen Spaceballs?
1: Okay, I've seen Spaceballs,
0: yeah. You know, his dark helmet.
1: Mm-hmm. So yes, that's right, he was. Yes, yes,
0: his <laughs> okay. dark helmet,
1: dude. Yes, he's dark, he absolutely is, he's even up the glasses, yeah.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 and, like, he was so... So, you're basically saying... I may have seen him in things, but he's not one of the ones that comes up top of the deck when I think of that era of comedy.
1: He He's, and this is a big thing for me, I guess, but he's one of those ones, oh, I know the name, but I don't mm. really, yeah, can't really pick the roles.
0: You don't know their, their style, their stuff, their material.
1: Hmm, yeah.
0: But- you saw him in this. What did you think? Because he has the difficult role of playing the straight man to somebody doing an over the top performance. If uh, you could argue two people, because Joan Cusack is very high energy too, he has the tough job of being the sensible one. What did you think of him? He he did
1: very well. Um, I I liked that he. <laughs> he 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 was the straight man but he had that like doormat quality to him where he was very easily you know led along by the other characters and that opened him up to you know interesting developments and and reactions to things like if you could see another kind of character not go along with like the dance scene or something Mm -hmm. like that but with him it was like oh yeah he got dragged along and he really enjoyed it and it was fun
0: I think what makes him work really well as a straight man being somebody who is known for doing overt cartoony comedy is they still allow him to have really good, jokes and really funny things within the movie he's not humorless the character isn't humorless that's what John Cusack's character is for but he is actually like his character is actually funny and he actually has quips and but they don't feel out of place for his character at least in my opinion they don't feel out of place like that pancake statement is very funny to me I love the pancake conversation early on because it just says everything you need to know about him and just <laughs> everything you need to know. Or, like, a lot of his back and forths with with Steve Martin uh, are pretty priceless uh, uh, gags and jokes and stuff. He carries his weight, but, you know, as someone who is familiar with Rick Moranis, I'm, I think of him in Ghostbusters, for instance, which I guess mm-hmm. you haven't seen?
1: No, it's one of the f- movies that I really have to get around to.
0: And Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and his old Canadian stuff... He, he was very good at playing cartoony, over-the-top characters. But he shows himself here as a very good actor, and he will show himself many times again in his career, like with Parenthood as well, that he was really good at um reining it in and playing the the straight man and being the sensible one. Uh, actually, we... T- You may not have been there for this, but in university we did a film with uh, Rick Moranis in it called, uh, was it Streets of Fire? Uh, We studied it in university, you and I, but I don't know if you were there for that lesson. And Rick Moranis was in that movie as like the wise-talking bastard of the group. And uh, that movie had Willem Dafoe as like a street thug villain. And, you know, Rick Moranis here... I believed him as an FBI agent the whole time. Even though throughout his career, he played the nerd, the dork, the the four eyes. Like He played a character called Seymour Krelborn, and he embodied being a nerd so much that Krelborn was used as a genuine insult term for nerds, because he looks like a nerd. And yet, in this movie, I believed him as the admin... Uh, FBI agent who's really tired and he just wishes he was, like, getting some action out there, like, going undercover. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I really liked his back and forth with his partner. I liked his partner, too. See, see, his goofy FBI partner who loves dancing. See, that also added an extra element of the cartoony nature of the movie to better cement why Steve Martin doesn't feel out of place, because even the FBI agents are pretty silly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um... And then we got Joan Cusack. You're familiar with her. We just said it earlier, School of Rock. Um, have you seen her in much else and what did you think of her here? Cuz she gets to play the the well, you know, the woman in the movie who's like stop having fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, um t- towards the end of the film, I I didn't quite like that she was kind of the 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 reactionary force to to like you know the kind of liar revealed kind of thing you know like the conflict becomes that she's upset and then she's like you know kind of not really a character anymore. Just she like reverts back to, to what we met her. Yeah, which I guess that it does fit in that way. But yeah, um, throughout the rest of the film though, uh she yeah, she was all right. I think
0: just all right. You didn't really care. Just for her? all right. No, uh,
1: yeah, just really okay, I reckon.
0: Yeah, Yeah, bummed me out because my big takeaway was I thought she was the funniest one in the film on this watch. (laughs) Right. I love, every time she appeared, I said, I love her, I love her, she's so great. She has such tough scenes to work with And she makes it look effortless to the normal viewer. They wouldn't think that that's a tough scene. But there's a scene in this movie, for instance, to illustrate the point, where she is talking to herself. She's very like flustered and high anxiety, and she's talking to herself. And to any other actor, that could be really hard to sell. Because it's basically the writer's writing out loud what the character is internalizing. And she's, like, saying, like... And she even gets to the point where she's like, I'm alone. I'm alone, and I'm talking to myself. This isn't good. Yeah, when she's washing the and dishes, she's like, right? she's I'm washing the dishes by myself. Well, okay, now that one's not that weird. Most people do that by themselves, but still, like, that's not good. And that scene in another person's hands could have fallen on its face and been very cringeworthy. But Joan Cusack as an actress has that quality to her in which you totally... Even though her character isn't in this movie, necessarily, I would describe her as an actress who is perfect at playing a spinster. Playing the woman who's in their middle-aged life, and they have yet to find the man of their dreams. And although in this movie she has had a husband and has had kids, she still carries that spin spinster energy, and that energy perfectly... um, help scenes like that land. And I love that about Joan Cusack. And I, I I she's one of my like I think she's one of the most underrated female comedic actresses of her generation. I think she's she always nails it. Most people nowadays have grown a fondness for her for her role in that second Adams family movie as the evil villainess lady who marries Uncle Festa. A lot of people have grown to love her now for that role, but I think you know here this is one of my favorite roles of her. She 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 has to bounce off of Steve Martin, whose crazy over the top energy is infectious to watch, and you see it starts to infect her character. It starts to it starts to impact her. Joan Cusack has to play this rigid woman, who starts to warm up a bit, and not just warm up a bit, and not just warm up romantically for Rick Moranis, but you start to see, like with all of the characters in the entire town, that they start to warm, she starts to warm up to Steve Martin, she starts to warm up to Vinny, and starts to inhabit little bits of Vinny, like everyone in the town does eventually. Like, Vinny is this uh, person who is just so uh, likable that people just start to inherently take things about him into themselves. And you see that with her in this performance. She really embodies like at the beginning of the movie. I would describe the way she holds herself and her hair and her outfit. She looks like a Puritan. Like I was imagining her imagining her in a Puritan outfit, like an old school like period piece costume, because of the way she physically held herself. She was just... And that that communicated perfectly how rigid this woman is. Just her physical demeanor. And then as you watch the movie, you see her hair starts to get looser. She doesn't... You know, she's wearing slightly nicer clothes. But not even that. Like, just the way Joan Cusack physically holds herself in the movie starts to, to lessen and starts to just get more and more natural. And then you see she starts to dance and have fun. And it's really great. And thus... At the end, your problem is she reverts back to where she was at the beginning because of the liar-revealed scene, which isn't even a liar-revealed, re- you know, like, it was a misunderstanding. But I understand that complaint. She reverts back to the to the villainy of where she was at the beginning. Like, she's like, fuck you, Steve Martin. But I think it's that thing of, um, there's a frustration there because you don't want her to be the person she was at the beginning because you've watched her go through a journey, and we know that steve martin isn't doing anything bad we know that he's a good person now right yeah and so you don't want her to fuck him over because he's actually doing good things for the children but she's scorned she's like you've you've played me this whole movie how dare you do it again how dare you uh, I, I, yeah
1: i guess it's it's less that she reverts back but more that like she kind of gets set aside you know she's not like quite the the a main player anymore it's kind of like you know this is a person that we have to make up with doing our own things
0: well what do you mean she takes them to court immediately she's like we're in court now and she's like fuck you rick Baranis. i'm gonna start arguing with you in court and then the shootout happens and then and then they get to the baseball thing she finds out the truth and then the movie's over
1: yeah, I know. I, I just mean, like, it felt like it was all on the, the male character's hands to resolve the whole plot, and she was just, like, kind of reacting to all that.
0: I guess. I, I think I saw it more as her thing to resolve at the end was to to actually believe the best in somebody, to actually let it go. Because that's a big thing with her character, is she's she's only been wrong once twice now as she twice. says yeah <laughs> like that's her character fault is she doesn't know when to let go and admit her wrong that she's wrong and that's what works at the end when rick moranis is just like she's like do you really expect me to believe this and he's just like yeah yeah and she and they embrace i don't know i i have more of a i guess my sappy heart is filling in more for this movie than yours, because I loved that. And I was like, oh, this is nice. And she wasn't that easy. <laughs> oh, evil. no. I, huh? I'm the cynic. <laughs> You're I'm the, the cynic. cynic. Bad boy. <laughs> so what was uh some of the things that you got out of this movie that you enjoyed, that you liked, that made you laugh, perhaps?
1: I, at first they, they kind of threw me off a bit, but I really liked the title cards. Mm-hmm. I'm honestly not sure what it is about them, but it's just, like, this really different thing that, I guess, yeah, I really don't know how to explain it, but something about them I just really liked. It, it felt very much in this film's style to do that kind of thing.
0: I agreed. I I think the music's a big help, too. It has, like, the music and the aesthetic of those title cards against that blue, cloudy sky... Is reminiscent, is reminding you of like the 50s and early 60s aesthetic. Yeah. That he himself yeah. inhabits with his hair and his outfits.
1: Yeah. And even like the neighborhood that he gets moved to.
0: Yeah. And then the, 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 the title cards have that kind of font and the white border around it that match that aesthetic. And I think it's a really stylish way to deliver two things exposition and chapter breaks. Because yeah. they're chapters, like, this is the bit where they believe me, this is the bit where they don't, like, they're chapter titles. But it's presented not in that pretentious way like Quentin Tarantino does, where it's like, and now it's chapter two in Glorious Bastards Strike Again, or whatever, right? Yeah, at,
1: at first it kind of felt like, oh, this is the title of the next comedic bit, but mm-hmm. then as the film went on, it was like, no, 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 there, there's actually long gaps between the title cards at times, and then it's just like a setup for the scene that's about to happen, rather than the point of the scene.
0: Yeah, well, on this watch, I was kind of noting that I didn't even think that there were titles for the next comedic set piece, but more the next uh, character, character turn or beat in his arc moment. You know, like, this is the part of his arc that is going to happen now, because, of course, the movie is... All three of them are the main characters, but obviously, Steve Munn is supposed to be the main character but i would argue it's kind of hard to say that he's the protagonist fully because he does step back a bit th- in the movie from time to time like it really does do a good job of making it fair share for all of the leads to be the lead leads of the movie but um you know the uh, the the title cards are really hearkening to his journey because he starts out like this you know, cold, cynical criminal who's really not interested in giving a shit about the community to somebody who's now, like, the man of the community, the man of the year of the town, even. That type of deal. Like, he's beloved and he loves being a part of it. And he's, in fact, made a new community within this community itself. And... uh, I thought the title cards, I agree, I thought they were very clever, very stylish, and what a nice, like I said, what a nice way to put down exposition, it's quick fire, yet it adds to the personality of the movie, it's not just dialogue, dialogue, dialogue.
1: Yeah, the the really memorable one for me is the one where it's like, oh, I, I forget the full thing, but it was basically like, I get in trouble for doing nothing wrong, <laughs> like the carjacking thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. What was some uh, other things any any particular uh, sequences or jokes that uh, got to you
1: um w- the one main laugh that I remember it wasn't a joke it was it was a, a performance thing mm-hmm. it was when uh, Steve Martin meets the woman in the supermarket and like you know he flirts with her about like oh you're gonna melt the mm-hmm the frozen food aisle stuff and she's just like res- the her reaction to that basically where she just like swoons over and him almost
0: faints into it yeah
1: it's like this is the character that we haven't established yet you know she's just the person shopping and you know immediately we see like oh no she's she's also you know kind of silly reactionary character but and he, just, was, like, he, just he was swoons so fucking
0: smooth though like, he was he was yeah, yeah he, was smooth he well. wasn't
1: being goofy he was he was laying on the charm
0: I will tell you one laugh-out-loud moment I thought you would have had, and maybe you didn't see it, but uh, at the end, there's a visual gag with uh, the baseball field that they're making. Did you note down what the title of it was?
1: The name of the baseball field?
0: Yes. At the end, when they're there at the construction site, there's a big sign that says its name. It's 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 called like the uh Vinnie Antonelli baseball field and then in brackets aka Todd blah blah blah, his fake alias. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If I noticed that, I would have remembered. That's good. I really like that.
0: That's a that's a that's a U type gag. That is definitely. <laughs>
1: yeah, I I wish I noticed that. I must have read the sign, but it just might have gone over my. Yeah,
0: no, it just did click. Because even the sign is reflective of his character. In which the sign is basically like how he is in the movie, where he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm Vinny." Oh no, I mean, uh, uh Todd. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I know Another- I know
1: it's, a, it's very much a different cultural thing, this whole witness protection thing, but I have seen enough things to where I understand, like, the seriousness of, like, you have to be the new identity and things like that. And then the main comedy of this film seems to be just, like, you know, slap, a, slap in the face to that concept.
0: Yeah. I uh, There were so many gags. Another gag I really liked at the very beginning of the movie was when they were given their aliases, their names, and... <laughs> The wife says, uh, hey, Terry, come over here. And he's like, I'm not Terry. I'm Todd. You're Terry. And I love that the wife thought that she was Todd. That's (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one, too.
1: Yeah, that That was was a good early laugh. Because it took Uh, me a second to think, like, oh, yeah, she would have thought she was
0: Todd. She would have thought she was told what a dumbass. Uh, I thought... And a so- if-
1: didn't a sort of similar thing happen way later in the film with uh, Rick Moranis, where he, either he or his partner got the name wrong?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, who is your favourite... Like, this has got your thing, where it's like you've got a plethora of supporting characters. I'm interested to know, who was your favourite of these, like, you know, the cast of characters that aren't our main three? Because I have... A bet on one or two, but i will be—I'm curious to see if you'll surprise me.
1: Oh goodness, who, 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 who would I give it to? Um, yeah, the the Vinny's mother was a good one. I mean, she only appeared in one little scene, but it was—it was, All it was right. funny. All that's,
0: right, uh, that's one bet I won. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, like this is a bar character. He would love the putts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Honestly, okay. I'm I'm looking at the cast list now and just trying to come up with things. So it's good that I I picked on that one, considering I didn't have an answer when you asked the question. Okay. Um, yeah, that's do you think the main. Sorry, do you, think
0: you can guess my favorite.
1: Your favorite? Oh goodness! Um,
0: it's not the mum. I'll tell you that. It's, it's a car, It's a member of the cast that we've actually seen in a previous movie on the show, and I stopped everything on that podcast to discuss this one actor and how much I loved him and how much I loved him in this movie. And I'm like, he's one of these character actors I love so much. Every time he appears in everything, I'm like, this guy's great. And you liked him in that movie too. But uh, my favorite guy is... um. Po- he doesn't say Polly wants a cracker. He says, you're under arrest. Oh, the, the oh, pet shop guy. I know a guy whose parrot used to say that. <gasps> you rat. <laughs> you filthier. William Hickey. Yes, William Hickey, who was the principal in Major Pain, who was covered in the moths and stuff.
1: Right, yeah.
0: And I mentioned him in our episode discussion of that, being like, I love this actor. William Hickey's one of those character actors who he had a voice and a distinct look, and he always looked ancient and old And I loved him so much. And everything I've seen him in, he's always been a highlight. And I've always, always used this as my prime example. This is my favorite of his. He's not in the movie much, but boy, is he memorable. He serves a very important narrative beat, which is a turn in the story of revealing that this is a town filled with gangsters. Which, again, isn't that a great plot idea?
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i really like the scene where just like all of the guys in witness protection met up it was just like this is really really you know going against the spirit of the the witness protection thing
0: but i also love that they're all bitching about like uh man i drove like 45 minutes for this sauce i heard it was very good and was it and the guy just laughs laughs, like you're fucking kidding me and I love William Hickey. I love that back and forth between me, him and Steve Martin and that voice. Don't you agree? He has such a memorable voice. Mm. Hey there, it's me. Like, he just has such a gruff, rhythmic voice. And I love the, when they were thr- slinging the insults. And then he's just like, you filthy rat. And then Steve Martin being like, I already said that. And he's like, yeah, but I say it so much better. <laughs> like That's his <laughs> one-upmanship on him. Yeah, and I was like, a Bartek would like that. <laughs> That's a Bartek type gang. He was good. He was good. <laughs> and I love him. And I love, uh, like, you know, you see him inspecting Vinny throughout the scene. And you're like, something's up. He knows him. You know, He knows something. And then the twist reveal, like, he is a gangster too. And this is all witness protection town is interesting. Interesting idea. Uh, another laugh out loud moment. Oh, there's just too many. Take... Take my keys. Take my gun. Take my car. Take me. That was a, I did like that back and forth with the female cop that was in love with Vinny.
1: Yes, uh, that's right. Yep.
0: Yeah. Oh, Daniel Stern was in this movie. How did you feel? We only saw him a little r- little while back in uh, "Very Bad Things." Did you even recognize right, Daniel Stern?
1: I was like, oh, we we saw him recently in something, didn't we?
0: Yes, yes, yes. He's just here to be a jerk in one scene and then punched in the next. <laughs> Like, he didn't get much to do, but it was nice to, nice to see him again. Um, no, I... This movie is just pleasant. That's a thing I miss about comedies in the modern age. A lot of them, of the big nature with the A-list comedic stars, are, are missing just... Uh, that, that was nice. Like, I'm not going to argue with you. This isn't the, the greatest comedy ever made. It's not making me laugh every minute, but it it gives me this overwhelming sense of this was a pleasant thing, this was made with nice intentions. It's just genuinely sweet and uh and 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 you know, it's got that uh vibe to it and that's a part of the movie is everyone starts to become better and nicer people along the way. And thus at the end when you have the baseball field it's made and you have all of the wacky Italian characters working there and everyone's really happy and you you see the baseball team and they're wearing the the suits and everything. It makes me smile. That's the biggest praise I can give this movie for its comedic sensibilities is it makes me smile from ear to ear the whole way through. And I think these are the type of movies we take for granted now because in the modern age of movies comedies have been getting less and less so but in the modern age of movies and movie critiques and movie watching and TV watching there's this idea that if this movie isn't a four or five star experience then I've wasted my time and it isn't good sometimes you need a three star movie or three and a half star movie or I'm not even saying that this movie's that this movie's a five star for me but like Movies of this calibre, the mid-range movie, the movie that isn't trying to win an Oscar or trying to start a franchise, a movie that's just there for a pleasant Sunday afternoon viewing. What do you think about that?
1: I'm actually really glad that you said all that because, like I said earlier in this episode, my first impression, my you know immediate response to it was, I thought it was a fine movie, didn't necessarily laugh a lot, but I enjoyed watching it. And yeah, I think the, that word pleasant really kind of sums that all up and it was even to the point where i was walking into this being like oh god i i don't know if i have you know all that much to say but i i didn't hate the movie i actually had a decent time and yeah like you said it is kind of that like pleasant middle range kind of film for me that i i enjoyed watching and i i'd like to get that across somehow and i think the way you just put it kind of sums it up
0: yeah like i you know and also, it has a script. That's a tick. Uh, it has well-defined characters. That's a tick. It has really good actors at the top of their game, giving it all, giving it their all. That's a tick. Uh, like, and it has clever little jokes spread throughout that just come up and grab you and, and nibble at you, and you're like, "Oh, that actually! Oh, I didn't realize that that was going to have a little continuing running gag thing going there." Like, I, I liked, I liked,
1: I liked the light bulb joke. <laughs>
0: I like that. Rick Moranis embraced it further. Like, he was already like, see, she's humorless. Like, Rick Moranis was already on Steve Martin's side when he told that joke, but, like, I love that he told it and then he gave the nun a drink. (laughs) That's right, he did. That was good. Like, I... Oh, can I tell you what I think is probably one of the most iconic lines from this movie and maybe this is just my household thing, which is... When Steve Martin's about to leave the supermarket, mm-hmm. and the 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 manager comes up to him, and he, and he thinks and you think he's going to tell him off for having just fucking cheated them with yeah, the yeah. tag gun, and he's like, "If you have a suggestion, put it in our suggestion box." And, and then the guy walks off, and then Steve Martin's like, "Actually, I got a suggestion for you. Uh, I noticed you didn't have any arugulas." And he's like, "What's an arugula? It's a vegetable." That line. And that line delivery from Steve Martin is forever burning into my brain. When I refer to this movie, within like two seconds, you'll hear that line come out of my mouth. It is delivered perfectly they use the right vegetable to make him say it with that accent and it's also kind of like a a vegetable that these people would actually put into their meals so it works on multiple multiple levels i was wondering if that line jumped out at you in any way because i know that you are like me in terms of a line delivery with a with a strange accent or a strange inflection can really land for you. How did you did you did that one jump out? Did you remember the uh, arugula?
1: Yes, I I mostly remember the the pronunciation of vegetable. You know that kind of emphasizing every syllable kind of thing, which I really dig.
0: <laughs> it's a vegetable. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, Steve Martin did a lot a lot of great work. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. When I say I'm with you, I mean I'm with you. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you think about the amount of dancing in the movie? This movie has a lot of dancing. Were you for or against that?
1: Um, I guess now that it's been a little while since I finished watching it, I don't remember all of the dancing, but I, I may I do remember the big dancing scene where they're in New York in the club, and you know, there's a lot of editing cuts going on there. I enjoyed that scene. You can argue what's, that what's the
0: dancing. Yeah, 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 the Merengi. Hmm. The Ferengi are from Star Trek. Um, oh, but sorry, yeah. me
1: and my Star Trek
0: mind. You and your Star Trek brain, you I, are, I, I mean...
1: I do too much keeping up with the Cardassians.
0: Yeah, and I mean, yeah, sure, sure. I, I was gonna... I mean, I'm sorry to Bartek to steal this trivia fact from you. I'm sorry, Bartek, to steal this um, point from your mouth, but yes... Yes, Rick Moranis' FBI partner played Sukal in the latest season of Star Trek Discovery, the person who caused the burn and made the universe blow up. Yes, it's the same actor. Bartek, I know you're upset that I stole that from you. I know you are. Ryan,
1: I need a captain's holiday.
0: Yeah, he needs a captain that's actually a reference. Yes, he needs a captain's holiday. <laughs> I and, do know some references. And now you're gonna cause a fight with William Shatner online about that reference. <laughs> <laughs> so so and then he's gonna block us. Yes. I've i
1: I've seen some red letter media, but not not Star Trek.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Um but any other things you want us to to state about the movie? Because there are some I want to, but I really wanna get your your gauge because you, you kinda seem a little bit like You had a good time. What about the movie didn't work for you?
1: Um, I mean, I I guess I didn't have too many big laugh moments, so I I guess that's something, you know, with a comedy film, you kind of want more. Um, but like I said, it it doesn't really bother me all that much. It just, yeah, I I don't know.
0: What do you think was holding about the laughs for you? Because you recognize clearly that there were jokes throughout the whole entire thing, but... What about your comedy sensibilities just didn't line up for this one?
1: Um, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, because it's some sort it's of hitting a lot of, lot of
0: beats here, hitting a lot of marks that I was like, oh, Bartek likes these type of things.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm just recognising, you know, the objectivity of the comedy, but it's not just hitting subjectively. I really don't know, it just... Again, it's, I, I liked it, and I think everything was done well, but, like, I just didn't have the big laughs.
0: That's true. You need to get a new suit so that, you know, we can start to change you from the outside in. And <laughs>
1: The suit stuff was a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> You're crinkling the pants! Here you are, sitting in your pants. And I love that Steve Martin's character was actually a lot smarter than you would initially give him credit for. Like, he kept Mm. having, like, these words of wisdom that were, like, really, like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's actually pretty clever. Which... I don't know if this is uh, the right statement to say, but obviously it's to give his character more nuance, but it also feels like a a long-term setup to what I think is probably one of the greatest payoffs in the movie to me, or like great joke scenes, which is him in court, and he describes... the criminal activities with extreme detail and memories. And I love to bits how he describes that the gangster he's uh you know he's informing against liked a specific type of gun because the bullet wouldn't go through the head, but instead the bullet would get trapped within the brain and rattle around in there like Pac-Man, but like in your brain. <laughs> And I love that detail. I love that Steve Martin was so specific. Like, Vinny was so specific with it. Like, Pac Man. And then later on, someone was
1: playing Pac Man.
0: Yeah. So. There you go. Um, a, a few things I do want to mention about My Blue Heaven is this has a terrific cast of character actors. Bartok, obviously, there's going to be some that you don't know, but I do. This is the joy of watching these movies for people like myself, is entering a world of familiar faces that you know to be good. And I've said this so many times on the podcast. They do the things you want them to do. They These actors have certain things that they're well-known and, and very capable of doing, and they fucking do the things that you want them to do. Or they do something different, and they're very good at it too. Like I said, Rick Moranis is the big star, and he's not playing the guy from Ghostbusters, He's not playing Lewis Tully, but he's still very good in the movie. Like... um the woman you liked uh who uh, uh, Steve Vinny marries halfway through the movie mm-hmm. uh that's played by Carol Kane who is gosh she's in a lot of things she's got a very iconic voice she's got this like very high pitched babyish kind of voice i will always remember her in the bill murray movie scrooged in which she plays one of the christmas ghosts and she's like this Decrepid looking fair like fairy like she's got like tinsely wings and she ke- her gag is she just keeps hurting bill murray she keeps like throwing shit at him out mm-hmm. of nowhere and she has like this crazy voice as we said william hickey great actor he was just one of a kind he has that voice he has that hair he has that old look to him he was wonderful in this uh i do uh, have to give a shout out again we had an episode our 200th episode on big Mama's house and in big Mama's house half the cast uh, sorry weren't...
1: ron that wasn't our, that wasn't our 200th episode what was that? that that was our final episode of the first show it was like episode 61 yeah. right, 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 right right thank 200th you episode cor- was Lady in the water
0: that's it i knew it was i knew we had something important and i knew they were relatively close to one another so correction our final unappreciated masterpiece was on Big Mama's House. And in Big Mama's House, half the cast weren't credited in the movie or on IMDb. And the there was one actor in that movie that drove me crazy. The whole episode you listen to, I'm like, I wish I knew who this guy was. Oh, there was something like that. The yeah. FBI chief, who was an important character in that movie, was not credited. I later found out months later that he was played by the actor uh, Raymond O'Connor who is in Blue My Blue Heaven as one of the gangsters who tells uh, Vinny, that the the checks do stop at some point, but I know him as an actor from Babylon Five. Oh, here we go again, Ryan mentioning Babylon Five actors in a very important, like very uh, memorable episode in which the show takes a detour away from the usual perspective and starts to focus, like tells a story from two characters we've never met's perspective, and he was one of those actors who played one of those characters. And so months later I found that out and I put that on social media and now I watch my blue heaven and here he's in my blue heaven. I'm like, it's a double hit of like, of course, of course I remember him in this movie. Fuck me. And now I'm even madder at big mama's house, (laughs) (laughs) which is, which is nice to say. And dude, all of those gangsters, all of them, they're all these actors that you've seen in everything. And also like, um, the FBI chief, or like uh Rick Moranis' boss. He's in a ton of stuff. I saw him recently in an episode of Star Trek, of course, everyone's favorite, Bartek's favorite show Star Trek. And um I do like that uh <laughs> have you ever seen the movie Clue? No, I haven't. <sighs> Damn it. You haven't seen Clue? <laughs> Fuck me. So in Clue, the one well, the, the French maid in Clue is uh is in this movie, Colleen Camp, and she plays the wife that leaves Rick Moranis at the very beginning of the movie. And she was actually in Wayne's world as the wife of um the guy that wants the, that runs the t- the T the V station, the, the the old guy.
1: Oh yeah, Noah.
0: Noah Noah's She's the arcade. Wife she's the wife of Noah in uh in that movie. So, uh, there too many to list, but this is like if you like your comedy or weirdo character actors, this has them all. This this even has the stepmother from the TV show Strangers with Candy. That's a, like a part of the movie I enjoy is just seeing uh these comedy hitters big and small get to just play around and have fun. And uh yeah, there's just Look, we could sit here and go through many more comedic jokes and scenes. Everyone has their favorites, big or small, that are throughout the movie. I'm sure there's many that uh, I could list off here that people would go, "Oh, you have to mention that." But there's, to me, there's far too many. And for Bartek, you know, maybe there could have been more. But uh, to 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 end the 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 conversation, you know, to to wrap it up. Uh, I I do want to I do want to give a a shout out to the fact that you know Nora Nora Ephron wrote this, and we know her for Bewitched, right? That was her script. And Michael. And Michael, yeah, yeah. What did you think of that knowledge? Like, did you know that before going in, or did you only know that after?
1: Um, i I think I checked it afterwards because I remembered, yeah, I remembered the name and then on the Wikipedia page at the bottom of the page for My Blue Heaven, there's a whole Nora Ephron tab. Like she yeah. wrote this and she directed those two things we mentioned.
0: And, you know, she, she's had a big career, but we're going to just focus on the stuff we've covered on the show. Did Does that knowledge kind of fill in some blanks for you or color this movie a little differently? Because we've seen some other things in her catalogue of work.
1: When I did see that she directed Michael, I was remember I was trying to remember our episode on that. I remember us We we did talk about how it wasn't a film that we loved, but there was like a a niceness to it that we just enjoyed it. Yeah. So I guess in that sense, like it's a very similar feeling to what I got in this film.
0: Yeah, I think And Bewitched had that too, though. Bewitched had this overwhelming sense of positivity and pleasantness as well. Yeah. yeah. While still juggling, like, the meta quality of, like, being a reboot of an old 60s show. Yeah, the 60s show exists in the movie. Like, it has a lot of a lot of mechanics going on, but we also really appreciated that about the movie too. Like you could say that Will Ferrell kind of plays a similar type of character to Vinny in this, in which he's like this cartoony, jerky, jerkish character who's not interested in things. And then by the end, he warms up and becomes a better person. It's that typical Mm. arc. And I just really was curious because you really liked Bewitched when we did on Unappreciated Masterpieces and you liked Michael more than, than I did. So I was just curious to see what it was like for you to now have seen this uh, creator that we've visited in the past, who have done lighter toned things, do just an out-and-out comedy, which to me seems like the logical progression with the two things we've seen of her work.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because this one's before those two things.
0: It is, it is, it is, yeah. but for us, you know, this is how the cookie crumbles.
1: Yeah, Bewitched was many years ago, so that one's a bit disconnected. But with Michael, yeah, I'm I'm really seeing a little bit of a connection in my head. So, so
0: wait, you're saying Bewitched is too disconnected, but it's not too disconnected that you can still explain to me what Steve Carell was in that movie, right?
1: <laughs> that's that's the thing I remember most about the episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: he was Uncle Arthur Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's Paul Lynn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> who we saw in the film in an episode of actual <sighs> bewitched yeah yeah, yeah
0: and and he references that he loved Paul Lin as an actor of Uncle Arthur yeah
1: <laughs> and he never called Steve Carell Paul Lin
0: yeah yeah but yet he was Uncle Arthur who was a fictional ca- yeah. <laughs> and yet they don't confirm if uncle arthur played uncle arthur in the tv show like they don't conf- it's a confusing moment in the movie but i appreciate seeing this aspect of her career because you she said it michael i found a little bit frustrating I didn't feel like it fully came together, but I appreciated that it's it had a warmth and openness. I think that Bewitched had a lot going for it. Obviously, it's unappreciated, but I think it was trapped within the, the framework of being like this meta commentary on the show Bewitched. Mm-hmm. But underneath all three of these movies is this sense of joyousness. And that's tough to pull off because you can be accused of being sentimental, sappy, and disingenuous. And I feel like a lot of filmmakers, not a lot, but I feel like there are a sector of of film in the current climate that are openly antagonistic towards doing things like that in movies and openly uh, cautious of doing it themselves. Like, what does this movie do to overcome that barrier of being too sappy too disingenuous uh, uh, being disingenuous in its uh sentimentality and sappiness and all of that like how does this movie manage to actually be genuinely sweet and nice
1: yeah i feel like that's a that's a question that has many facets of answers well the immediate thing that comes to my head which i'm sure is by no means one of the major ones is like even though it does have, you know, these kind of wholesome qualities to them, it does still have like a, you know, slightly rude jokes. Like we mentioned the light bulb thing before. I think there's a moment earlier on where, <laughs> where Steve Martin t- straight up tells someone, fuck you or something. Yeah. Cause, have a
0: nice day. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, there was an F-bomb in the film. Um, so it it does, you know, toe the line between, like, oh, kids will like this, but also, ooh, that's a bit, you know, much. And I guess there's a genuineness to that, because, you know, in, in in real life, there are certain people that you would talk to where you would not be rude. And, yeah, I don't know, that, that, it felt real.
0: Yeah. I think what pushes us over in comparison to say, and not to, to slam the man, people enjoyed his work, but Gary Marshall for instance his later films like Mother's Day Valentine's Day New Year's Eve those were sappy movies with lots yeah, he of He did s-
1: Exit to Eden too right
0: Yes yeah. Yes thank you and uh famously not Jewish and so he uh, he is someone who I thought was a and he was also in Race to Witch Mountain I also thought like oh, yeah. him as a person was a genuinely came across as a genuinely sweet, sentimental, sappy, nice person. But his later films in particular came across as garbage, disingenuous, Hollywood crap. And I think what pushes something like this over the line in comparison to those is this isn't lazy. This movie is well made, it's well executed. It doesn't just rest on its laurels of uh, being a gangster comedy. It doesn't rest on its laurels of just letting Steve Martin be the funny guy. It doesn't rest on its laurels, like I said, with the, with the, the actual visuals of the movie either. This film goes above and beyond what it needed to be. This is like Oscar in a lot of ways, the film, where it could have just been the basic boilerplate, screwball comedy, gangster movie, but they went that extra mile. They didn't just go the extra mile by being like, oh, they have the right costuming, but just the right casting, the right type of jokes, the right tonal balance. And so that feeling of positivity, that feeling of joyousness is an easier pill to swallow because the film is genuinely trying to be the best it can it knows exactly what it is and it isn't trying to pretentiously reach above itself but it isn't trying to just be content with itself like a lot of uh, modern comedies are and a lot of gary marshall's later movies were and so i think that is why this feels real as you say are we ready to hear what we'll be talking about for the next episode, Bartek. We have a listening people's suggestion. I have the list open in front of us. We have quite a few on here to pick from. Are you ready to hear?
1: I don't know if I'll ever be ready, but sometimes you just have to, you know, bite the bullet and let it happen.
0: <laughs> you sure? You gotta you just gotta bite that bullet and accept what we're gonna be watching? Yes. So I thought we got the list here. And I'm looking at our list, and it's, like, a lot of punishing movies, whether they be (laughs) quality-wise or tonally. And I'm like, what do we do? And I thought, well, I see a movie here that I think will be a tough watch, but one I think we both need some film education in. A streetcar named Desire from 1951, the Marlon Brando one which was recommended to us by David, uh, a friend of a friend of ours. So, Mm -hmm. Bartek, make sure that you're ready, because I imagine you haven't seen A Streetcar Named Desire. No, we might have it
1: on DVD, though, so maybe I can easily find it.
0: I have seen the Alec Baldwin one, and I have seen this performed on stage, and I have read the play, but I have not actually watched the Marlon Brando one for myself. Uh, I will also listen to the Simpsons musical of A Streetcar Named Desire with Ned Flanders and Marge Simpson in it. It was buff Ned Flanders, yeah? He's always buff. Yeah. He's always buff.
1: Yeah, but that one, we saw it.
0: Yes, yes. So, listening people, make sure to check out that movie in the interim. You can find us on the social medias of Facebook, Twitter, uh, under spit and Polish presents, we also have an email in which you can email us email us with your thoughts, questions, queries, or concerns, and or recommendations for movies. If you want to add a movie to our giant list of recommendations, feel free to do so at spit and polished at gmail dot com, uh, rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you use. It would be greatly, 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 greatly appreciated. Unappreciated masterpieces, maybe, uh, will be your review, but not really, because we'll appreciate it. Uh, Bartek, anything else you want to say, or anything you want to do to wrap this out?
1: Yes. Um, if if you go to our YouTube uh, channel and you click on any 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 video we've uploaded. Please write a comment saying what is this, because we we do not get enough comments asking w- what it is that we what, do. What
0: I like about that though is that's a deep cut reference to Frosty the Snowman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should go with that. Yeah, I think what I was actually referencing is a bit too esoteric. It's only something we'd get,
0: and that's how unless getting- you. Unless
1: someone listening to this knows our login, in which case you know what we're talking about.
0: And that's how we're going to end this, buddy.